Hello and welcome to another episode. Shh, oh, shh, shh. Keep it down. Keep it down. Fuck Hello. up, Alan. Welcome to another episode of Diminishing Returns. As you can tell by this hilarious intro, we're doing a quiet place. <laughs> quiet place. More like a moderately loud film. <laughs> With uh, no dialogue, well, minimal dialogue. More like a minimal dialogue place. Um, yes, well... I tell you what, I, I, I watched it earlier today to refresh my memory, and it might be just because I had the volume cranked right up, but it was very loud. <laughs> um, well, uh, that voice, uh, that very loud voice there, is Sol Harris. Uh, my name is Alan uh, Turing. And joining us this week, after a, a long gap... Uh, since he was Hiatus. last on the show, yeah, um, uh, traveling the world as he is. Uh, please welcome Connor Murray. Yes, lads, how's it going? <laughs> oh, <it's so> loud. <laughs> He's back, Connor. When were you last on? Was it Quentin Tarantino? Was that? Uh, it was. It was the kind of middle era. The ones that I did. It was Kill Bill and Death Proof. Those are the ones that I did. And and I believe you. You may have popped up in some sort of outtakes clip show compendium that had audio recorded during then as well. Well, it is, like a year and a half yeah. ago or something. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, Connor, you, you're back Welcome in back. the real country for a change. Thank you very uh, much. So you're available to record. It's great to have working um, toilets. Anyway, so we are dealing with a quiet place. Now, let me just... Uh, yeah, well, 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 I was I was just going to draw some parallels here, because I, I think, was it about... What, how long ago was it that we did that? I've got it down here, August 2018. So that's roughly two or three months apart when A Quiet Place came out, isn't it? And now you're back because A Quiet Place Part 2 is coming out. See the lines I'm drawing. Um, Sol, you, you put up A Quiet Place into our schedule, and I said, what the fuck is A Quiet Place? <laughs> I just said, we're doing it, Alan, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, and you said... Non-negotiable. No, I said, this film. one's non-negotiable. It's, yeah, you said, no, people watched it, and I was like, I've never heard of it. So I... It, I, it was a big, big hit. It kind of came out of nowhere, but yeah. it was an original uh, property, which well, is the, very yeah. unusual. Well, what basically, um, I said, fair enough, let's do it, and... Uh, I didn't look at a trailer, I didn't read anything about it, so when I watched this earlier today, I had no idea what it was. I mean, I, apart from the title, I mean, that's all I had to go on. Um, so, but it did mean at the in the beginning, like, my first impressions of the film were like, ooh, what's going on? It was some sort of post-apocalyptic, I was, I was trying to work out, you know, what was going yeah. on. Post-apocalyptic world, or they can't make any sound, what's going on? And then it's kind of revealed... And this is all set up. It's only the first ten minutes. It's revealed that it is like a, a monster that come, that hunts by sound, and that's why you have to be quiet. Mm. And I must admit that was like pretty much the most boring sort of answer to that setup, which is you know fair enough. It's a horror. It's a creature horror film. But I was hoping for something a bit deeper, maybe a bit more metaphorical or something. And uh, so yeah. you know, after because I didn't know what to expect, that was pretty much as disappointing as it could get not to say it didn't work mm. but you know what i mean i i mean i think i'm going to be quite down on this episode so, uh, this film so i'm hoping you guys can be a bit more positive i i don't actually uh dislike the film i should make that very clear up front but i have a lot of issues with it and i i think in a nutshell my thoughts on this film are probably best explained as it's a smart film for stupid people 
Is that fair? I I think I understand where you're getting at. Yeah, um, I, I see where you're going. It, it, it's a great concept and something that in the right hands could be absolutely mm. amazing, but it does just get, for lack of a better word, Hollywoodized the more it goes Yeah, on. and I mean, it is a Bruckheimer production, so that, you know, kind of explains a lot of it. But people love this. You know, audiences lapped it up. It made a lot of money. It struck a chord. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But it surprised people. Uh, You know, it it had this sequel put immediately into production uh, with the original team back. Um, But I think it just kind of came out of nowhere and and was... It's it's not a bad film. I think it's a very difficult film to take real issue with beyond the little things I'm going to be complaining about. So yeah, I th- I know what you mean. I think as a as a little kind of relatively small scale horror film, it's like oh that's a nice piece of work. And it, but mm. I think the sequel is going to suffer from a, a different level of expectation. Uh, whereas if like if this was a big release, then you would be judging it harsher, probably. Yeah, uh, it's got such a. St- I, I think one of the reasons is that it uh, really struck with audiences is it's got such a simple, powerful gesture. You know, at the core of it, you know that image of John Krasinski just going, you know, like that. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry, but that's like a very really, like powerful thing. You know, like it's it's a film centered like entirely around that image and concept and you know like that that's the lasting image in my mind from that film just everyone going shh like all over the place doesn't he do that in an episode of the office <laughs> <laughs> making a lot of noise and he goes shh <laughs> well can i ask Sol, um when this film came out in relation to that film where those kids break into a blind man's house or whatever that is Oh, don't breathe. Yeah, where does this relate to that? Was it before, or after? Uh, this was two years after Don't Breathe. That's... I hadn't actually drawn a connection there. there. There's an obvious connection to draw here, which is a film called Bird Box. Shit, what was it? No, not Bird Box. The other one, Bird Box Two. Um, <laughs> there was a Netflix film called like Don't Make Any Noise, like <laughs> Stanley. It's like Stanley Tucci and a girl in the post-apocalyptic world, and if they make any noise, the aliens will eat them. Oh, really? That sounds like ca- a very it, direct... Jesus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it came out, it was direct to Netflix, and it came out, like, last year or the year before, and it was a sort of... It's a classic Bugs Life ants. Um, oh, so they were sort of separate. Finding Nemo or... Shark Tale. Is it called The Silence? Yes, that yes, like that's obvious, the one. I'm just looking at Stanley Tucci's CV there. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not seen it. Apparently it's dreadful. And it says that it is the man and the teenage daughter, and the daughter is deaf as well. Even that's a, a, a connection there. Yep. That sounds very dodgy. <laughs> uh, yeah, far too much of a coincidence. <laughs> not sure about that. Well, this sort of thing happens. You know, Dennis the Menace, the uh, American Dennis the Menace and the British Dennis the Menace, uh, nothing to do with one another, but they're both cartoon strip characters about naughty little boys who run around shooting people with slingshots in stripy, stripy shirts. Yeah, Dennis rhymes with menace. It's like, <laughs> and yeah, but do you know, Alan? Both of those comic strip characters debuted within three days of one another. <laughs> That's weird, isn't it? It's just stuff. The, the zeitgeist is pointing in in directions, and subconsciously we do shit. Or you know, maybe maybe someone. Read maybe John Krasinski read a script called The Silence and went, hmm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna I think that's more likely. They make it. 
the the interesting thing is so <laughs> let, regardless of that the, the the interesting thing here is to have a have a film that's all about sound and the perception of sound blah 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 having a deaf character it's sort of it is a bit of an obvious choice in the sense of that's going to give you something to play with certainly based on a quiet place it feels like it doesn't really go anywhere it doesn't well, you're talking about they. It's it's the whole reason they get checked well, on yeah, I mean, at the start. Yeah, but it, I mean, it could that could have been anything. You know what I mean? Like the thing that is just like, ooh, it creates a pitch noise or whatever it is. My point is that her being deaf as a relation to this film is all about sound and and the very fine details of sound. I don't know. Well, I mean, obviously, it's it's important to the character because she doesn't even hear the thing coming. You know. It's, I don't know. It just feels like we should be making more of that um, on a metaphor. I know what you level, mean. I guess. Well, let's let's begin at the beginning. I suppose we set up with a little, um, like I say, about ten minute chunk, which just quickly sets up the world. We, you know, we we we, we seem to establish some sort of, you know, everyone's gone, but uh, civilization is still kind of knocking about. So it's like a recently post apocalyptic world, I guess. Can I just say my piece because it it kicks off right at the start. I think I would like this film a lot more if I didn't hate all of all of the characters. And I I think I wouldn't hate all the characters if they weren't all so fucking stupid. They all deserve to die, especially that little boy at the start with those batteries. What the f- what do you think he's doing? Put the batteries down, you little moron. But I you is- idiot. Bad parenting from John Krasinski. What kind of kid is he raising there? I don't want him to have another kid. Little kid deserves to die. Like it, it, It's one thing if you say to the kid, look, there's monsters and they'll get you if you make too much noise. And then the kid sort of goes, yeah, whatever, granddad. And then like turns up the rock music. That's one thing, right? But that's not what's happened. This is a post-apocalyptic world they're living in. They've been surviving for long enough for it to be completely, you know, post-apocalyptic wasteland. And they've presumably witnessed the downfall of society. They've presumably seen carnage and death all around them, and they know very well firsthand the implications of what will happen if they make even the slightest bit of noise. So the idea that they wouldn't be able to resist playing with a fucking shitty little (laughs) rocket ship with the sound on, they couldn't possibly play with they couldn't possibly play with it without uh, the fucking batteries in it. I did, think, I did think, like, why didn't he just let him have the toy? Like, take the batteries out and go, yeah, play with that. Because it's not... Yeah. You know. Because the fucking stupid little kid, he's probably done this shit before, and he probably knows if he gives them that toy, they'll get back to the house, and they'll be there going... <laughs> and they'll be like, no, 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 that, no That's childhood innocence, Saul. Uh, that is childhood innocence being metaphorically represented in this And that's what we need to kill. You're, you're saying... That that deserves, you know, extermination, you know, in this sort of, you know, new post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, it's going to get everyone else killed. Guys, I just spent Christmas with my young nephews, and I'm I'm oh, quite I'm in favour of that. Uh, let's kill, <laughs> let's kill childhood exuberance. How old are your nephews? It's annoying. How old are they? Uh, well, one of them's eight. The other one's a, a like one-year-old baby. Oh, who uh, well, the... was ill and not never stopped. Crying. The eight-year-old is fine, but yeah, that one-year-old, like for the next couple of years, you're gonna have some fun with that one, man. It's great. Well, my nephew is three right now. I love him the bits. I love him the bits, and I'm gonna leave it at that. 
<laughs> but if he did get killed by a sound hunting monster, it wouldn't be a bad thing. I'd be distraught, but I wouldn't <laughs> give him a toy with batteries in it if my life depended on being, you know, like alive on that. You know, like that's, that's <laughs> on that note. Like, if your life depended on not making much noise, would you conceive a child less than a hundred days after the end of the world? <laughs> About three, about a year, about a year. Yeah, because the film set what four hundred and seventy-two days, I believe, is the first thing after the aliens come. So that means they must have conceived of the kid about a year after the aliens came. That's the most irresponsible thing you could possibly do. You got there's loads of people are dead. You got to rebuild the human race, haven't you? No, you don't. Why? Plus, all the Johnnies have gone out of date. No, they haven't. That's what. That's my problem. If they, this, that's exactly it. If they'd left it, so it was like five years after, I'd be like, all right, fair enough. They had an accident. They can't get an abortion in this world. Whatever. But <laughs> condoms are abundant. There's no one like they went in that supermarket. There was loads of shit everywhere. Condoms are good for like four or five years. They wouldn't have any trouble. <laughs> well, maybe they wanted to have a baby and be considered. <laughs> They've already got three kids. Well, one of them dead. That's why they had to replace. Yeah, them. they can't. They couldn't even look after them properly. Well, that's why you know, in these circumstances, you need more kids. You need more because you're gonna have some go. You're gonna lose some. Yeah, mortality rates going up. I just, I just have no, I have no sympathy for someone who knows that making the slightest bit of noise is rolling dice with death. Like fifty-fifty, you're gonna get killed. And then they purposely produce a noise machine that has no sense, no conscious sense of like the need to be quiet. You pr- you probably can't muffle it without damaging it. In this circumstance, I think I would probably go out of my way to find somewhere to live that is a soundproofed uh, to at least some extent, and b you know easy to defend <laughs> or protected yeah, in some yeah. way. And they just living on a farm. <laughs> Like, just, let's just be quiet, guys. They make a huge thing about how the water masks the, the no, like, the noise. Well, go live on a lighthouse. <laughs> go, go live, there are literally houses in the middle of rivers. They exist. It, oh, it's stupid. This is my problem, this film. And, and the biggest issue with it is the film's operating, partly, it's trying to operate on that kind of, the sort of thing that normally appeals to me, like Michael Crichton books and stuff, where they're like, we're going to walk you through all the intricacies of how this works and this clever uh, thing they've rigged up to work around this problem. And your men are thinking, oh, how clever. They've put flour down all over the floor. they put sand everywhere to soften the floor. How clever. They're using uh, woolen, woolen monopoly pieces. How clever. <laughs> but instead, you're just there thinking, no, you fucking morons. <laughs> Idiots. Close the curtains. <laughs> that muffles yeah. the sound. Uh, yeah, I, that was the other thing as well. The, the kind of the whole scale of noises we're allowed to make is just like they they walk around barefoot all the time, which I assume is because shoes are so noisy. Like I'm not saying you should go around in stilettos, but like a trainer's that noisy, really. Pumps. Well, I I think I think you're a lot lighter on your feet and more aware of what you're doing with your feet. Like, I think you're a lot more likely to accidentally kick something over and knock it if you're wearing a big clunky shoe, whereas if you're going barefoot... Yeah, but if you're barefoot and you stay in your son's little spaceship thing, you're going to go, Yeah, you're also a lot more likely to, yeah, stand on a nail or something. And 
you're also more likely to get infections. You're more likely to not be able to run away as quickly. Uh, I mean, I just think the risk to, you know, the, the risk ratio there is is doesn't make any sense. Plus then they're just... I don't think they can run away. I think once they've been heard, that's it. Yep. That's also why we. Are so fast. That's also why we invented Nike trainers so that we could run away <laughs> from wolves faster. You know, like <laughs> if you're if you're holding a space shuttle and it's making a load of noise, if you just chuck it Throw thirty it. yards away, it's gonna go to that. Yeah. You just stand still; it'll never find you. And then you can whack it on the head with a shovel when it's looking. At it. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's enough. They, that just seems to rile them up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the the my point is that I think you're right, Alan. You know, you know how I know you're right because uh, there was a whiteboard in the film at one point <laughs> that said something like "strong armor?" Question mark. Yeah, that that annoyed me. That kind of the most basic kind of this is the, <laughs> this is all the information Difficult I know to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, must survive under light. Do not, do not die. Be quiet. Underlined. What is? I'm pulling up a picture of it now. I'm going to read it out. (laughs) The worst, the laziest bit of exposition I've possibly ever seen in a film. But this is after this is like a year and a half of research he's put in in his little basement science laboratories. Four hundred seventy-two days later, John Krasinski has written creature, and then he's put a box around it, (laughs) and he's put bullet point blind. That's good. Bullet that's point. Worth knowing Bullet point. Attack sound. <laughs> Bullet point. Armor underlined. Then he's put how many in area? Question mark. Question mark. Confirmed. Three. And he's drawn a box around three. That's the important bits all. And then he's written survive in a box. <laughs> And then he's put bullet point medical supplies. Bullet point soundproofing. And then he's written what is the weakness? Now, to me, that's like if I start trying to write a film <laughs> and I, I realise, I'm like mapping it out and I realise <coughs> I've not, you know, I've been at this for like three hours and I've got nothing. <laughs> it's time to I give this feel like I've done. I, I want to feel like I've done some work. So I just put like beginning, middle, end. <laughs> Con- conflict, conflict resolved. Equilibrium reestablished. <laughs> Oh, it, it is... I mean, come on. It, uh, <laughs> this film was praised for its writing. Well, maybe maybe these characters are just stupid. Maybe that's the point. <laughs> maybe yeah. they're just not that good at surviving. Uh, I mean, that would bear out. He's, he's, he's soldering together a little hearing aid, though. He knows how to do that. But this is a vanity project from John Krasinski. I don't think he's going to intentionally do that because did he produce it or write it or something didn't it actually come from he him? directed it oh fuck me okay <coughs> right he's not gonna make them intentionally stupid then he directed it and then he cast himself and his wife in the two lead roles <laughs> um so it's about as and like you know to be fair they're fine yeah i mean i must say i do not think there is a world in which John Krasinski would have been cast in that role in this film had he not directed it. I don't know. It fits the requirements, though. I mean, what, what what do you want? I just don't think you. I just don't think you'd ever go to him to lead a movie. Well, it might not be first on your list, but if you've got a limited budget and you're working your way down, yeah, you're right. He's not. I think he's the sort of person who would pop up. 
He's famously second or third on people's lists. It's all right. The first person turns you down. He was. He was. Um. He was in the running for Captain America, and they gave it to Chris Evans. Imagine not being as good as Chris Evans <laughs> uh, acting. <laughs> but he's. Yeah, I don't know. He's all right. And Emily Blunt, she knows what she's doing. Well, okay. Let's deal with the kids then. Um. One of them gets killed straight away, so forget Don't that. Don't like them. Weird faces. Weird faces. Ugly children. <laughs> is that... <laughs> is that an important I'm, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we've got... No, they're fine. They're fine. They're fine. We've got Noah Duke plays the young boy who doesn't do much. Like, he doesn't get a chance to do much. And when he's asked to, it's, like, perfectly fine. You know, nothing special. Uh, then Millicent Simmons, who plays the teenage girl, who is asked to do a lot more, like the emotional weight is on that character a lot of the time. Uh, I think she does a really good job, actually. Uh, I liked what she did. I think it worked. I think the relationships between them all seemed to work quite well. I guess that's the, the heart of the story, isn't it? It's, it's as many problems as you might have with the setup and all that. It's about this family is about love and, and you know, the kind mm. of looking after each other and all that sort of thing. So what happens? They, they go to the shop to buy some bread or something. <laughs> Kid starts playing up in the supermarket. We've all been there. Um, dad tries to be reasonable. Kid shoplifts some batteries, uh, gets killed on the way back. And then we jump forward to like, a fair bit later, and they're playing Monopoly. Is that fair if I missed anything out? Well, I mean, I don't know if the Monopoly was the important bit to get to. (laughs) Don't know why you stopped there. (laughs) (laughs) They're playing Monopoly, and then one of them knocks over the the lamp and sets everything on fire. Mm -hmm. Is there a reason they're not just using an electric torch, given that there's, like, batteries everywhere? Uh, A lamp is a more... um... Dangerous method of light creates more noise than a torch as well. The flickering of the the flame. I think you're all right. There's only so many batteries to go around. Maybe they just hate batteries after what happened. They don't let them in the house. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, what annoyed me with that bit was there's a kind of noise, and then they look out the window and they're like, "Oh, it's just a raccoon." And then you're thinking, well, hang on, how's a fucking raccoon survived making all that noise all this yeah. for like over a year? That wasn't the. Uh... And then the thing, and then the thing, it like kills the raccoon, and it's like, well, now that just raises further questions. <laughs> yeah. How are they, those raccoons going around going making like loads of noise, and then not just the raccoon, fucking crickets. Yeah, loads of noise from. They them. keep going out at night, and it's like. Crickets everywhere. The the thing should be going mad, jumping around, stabbing the grass. Stab, stab, stab. And the that that scene where they do him and the boy go to the waterfall, uh, and it's so loud that they can talk freely and and shout. It's it's, it's jarring to suddenly have characters start speaking. Like what is that? Like forty five minutes mm-hmm. an hour into the film, something like that, yeah. and they've not really, other than mouthing along to the sign language. Sometimes, which seems a bit redundant. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's kind of odd, but not like not in a bad way. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the whole point. But and, and I, 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 think... I must say, to give this film some praise, it, it is a film that makes real use of the medium of cinema. You know, it's not 
this isn't something you could do on the stage. This isn't something you could do as a radio play. Really, well, actually, maybe you could. Mm. No, <laughs> no, not quite like this. But the, the, but the, my point is that again, it feels like not quite there. It's this this moment where this boy can release and and scream. It, it just feels like that it needs to be bigger or it needs to be more emotional somehow, like this a, a release. Yeah. Whereas more it's just like, ooh, cheeky opportunity to shout. Oh, you know, that's about as far as we get. Rather than being this like massively like life-affirming moment. It feels like John Krasinski realised that there was some like bit of legislation in the Actors Guild contract that he had that said he'd only get royalties if he said like 15 lines <laughs> and he had to write a, a few into the script. That's what it feels like. But yeah, like that's a just a good example of where every everything in this film just kind of slightly misses the mark. Like it, it just feels like it has the potential to be like 30% better or, or like on all levels. I made a note to that effect about the opening scene where the kid dies that my note is is this meant to be profound or something? Cuz it the, the whole thing where that kid dies up front feels like it's meant to be saying something, but I don't. I don't think anything about this film is really saying anything. Yeah, I, I, that's it. It just feels like this is a really great setup that could have a lot of depth, and we don't get that. Like even the film itself doesn't really play with sound very much, which would seem the obvious thing to do. Is there's nothing particularly interesting in that. I was really looking forward to that when I watched that. I was looking forward to like clever sound design and stuff. I thought that I thought that would be a really heavy element, but no, it's it's that's it's just the most conventional thing. And uh, the absolutely. aliens make like what weird clicks and stuff, kind of, don't they? Yeah. Or you know, it's just not the. This is something that really annoyed me because this film got thrown a a very generous uh, nod at the Oscars for sound mixing or sound editing. And, like, fair enough. It's a kind of, you know, it, that's the category it probably most deserves to be acknowledged in. But then I remember after the award went to Bohemian Rhapsody, one of the only awards Bohemian Rhapsody actually deserved, um, there were all these people going, it's outrageous, the Oscars is rigged, like, they, they don't even think about what they're doing. How can you not give the award to A Quiet Place? The whole film's about sound. Of course it has the best sound. And it's like, well... No, it doesn't. <laughs> the whole film's about sound, but that doesn't mean the sound design and the sound mixing is better than a film with... Like, if anything, it's a more simplistic sound mix, because you haven't got any fucking dialogue to worry about. Yeah. I mean, isn't the obvious thing to do uh, to, like, cut out the lights, make it dark, and so they're having to get, they're having to get through something by sound as well? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Just have a scene like that, play with that, You've got a deaf character. Yeah. How is that going to affect your sound mix? There's a couple of times where, like, we're obviously from her point of view and it's deaf and, like, we can't hear anything. Mm. But, like, and then what? Nothing comes of it. It's, yeah. I don't know. Or, like, if you put yourself, put, put us into her character, but then we can see what she can't. So when this creature's behind her, she can't hear it, but we can see yeah. it. So the fact that we can't hear it doesn't matter. So, I mean, what, what else happens? They, they they go for like a walk. There's an old man. Um, the old man screams at them. Yeah, well, obviously, what they they basically come across this old man and his wife. We presume an older woman and his wife. She's been killed by the creature, and he's obviously like, right. I'm going to give up. I'm going to kill myself. 
But then he seems to do it in a moment where he's seen them. He's seen these fellow human survivors. Yeah, he does it maliciously. It's bizarre. Yeah, he's like, well, I'm going to attract this creature now. And obviously he's been surviving with his wife for this long. And I appreciate losing your wife might be the final straw. But then surely meeting other human survivors and going, oh my God, there are others. Uh, maybe I could pally Not up just with other them. human survivors, but a child. Mm. That means something to a lot of people. Yeah. Then yeah, he, he gives he gives his daughter a hearing aid slightly before that as well. He's like, we, it's, we, this one's gonna work, and she's like, none of them work for fuck's sake, and she gets angry about it, and it's just it's it's just the most blatant setup when he gives her that thing that oh that's gonna kill the alien at the end. Well, I didn't necessarily think oh that's gonna be you know kill the alien, but I thought it was gonna do something like her hearing or not hearing, is going to have an impact on this. Uh, you know, and it ends up being not really relevant to that. It's just a device that squeals, you know. I think that's about, as, that's all it is. But that, that's what really annoys me, is it's not this clever thing. It basically just makes a loud, high-pitched noise. And that just begs the question of, wait, you've you've gone like a year and a half and you haven't tried making a really loud, deafening noise at the aliens. That's, yeah, that was another th- general point. It's like, they haven't done anything in a year and a half. It's like they haven't even gotten a cool, like, booby trap system to as an alarm. Oh, well, there is some implication they have because when they see the farm from a distance and the lights are red, that's like a warning that it's been overrun yeah. or whatever. But, like, in terms of, yeah, the the rocket, they set the fireworks off as, a, like, a major distraction. That's obviously supposed to be a last resort thing, I guess, or they set, they'd set that up because they knew she'd make a load of noise when she was giving birth. Yeah, that's set up specifically for the pregnancy was the implication I got. And I like that, but then the the kind of fear that when he set, he sends the boy off to do it and sort that out, and it's I guess it's just sending him out on his own he's worried about, but I don't know, because basically they all get separated. It goes back to the wife, and they're okay, she's had the baby, but then the kids have gone off somewhere, and they're lost in the in the fields. And it was just like, well, aren't they just going to walk back to the house? I mean, they know, they know their way. It's, do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, it's it's only the same as any other day. We'll be quiet, or the creature's actually sniffing around right now. So let's just not move until it's wandered off. Do you know what I mean? It's like uh, there was this. I, I get, they get the impression that they think their kids are to- so stupid that they're just going to start making loads of noise unless they're there constantly. Well, yeah, but one of his one of his kids <laughs> was told if you put batteries in that toy, it will kill you. You will die. And then he did it anyway. So you know, would you trust your kids if <laughs> that was the spawn of your loins? Yeah. No, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's a couple of set pieces. Uh, like the kids fall into a, a grain silo and then the creature jumps in with them. That kind of... That's just all right. It doesn't really play out to anything. And then they get trapped in the car. Uh, this car apparently a lot tougher than a grain silo because it can't break into it. I don't know. It just... It, it's all fine, but it feels a bit flat. That's the whole film for me, I think. It's all fine, but a bit flat. Yeah. And I find it amazing that so many people talk about how tense and like 
full-on and heavier viewing experience it is, and, you know, it left them on the edge of their seat, because I just didn't get that at all either time I watched this film. And, you know, I I watched it once in a cinema and then uh, once with headphones in. Um, So I've had two different auditory experiences of the film and the the ending of that which is basically John Krasinski sacrificing himself um it it worked it, it worked in the sense that i was not expecting them to actually go through with it i thought he'd sort of get saved yeah i yeah. thought her hearing aid would uh, well, turn on and save him at the last minute i think that's the benefit of it being quite a comparatively small film that they let the the protagonist essentially die at the end, which is actually quite unusual for, you know, a film like this. So, yeah, no, I, I do have a good deal of respect for them actually following through on that. And they have this distinct moment where he tells her he loves her and all that, which was a bit sort of forced in the actual reality of that situation. But, yeah, I was kind of all right with all that bit. That's the bit that, yeah, worked for me. And that's what got me through the film. Like I said, I, I quite liked the film uh, in that sense. I think it's just a bit of failed potential, really, if anything. Yeah, well, that that's it. You know, I, I I think this is a good film. And I think had I seen it with no buzz whatsoever, I'd probably think, oh, nice little, decent, enjoyable, you know, horror film. Um, but I think because it, it got such mainstream acclaim and success, I think I'm kind of pushing back against it. Like, well, come on, it's it's not that good. <laughs> Well, that is what I got. I got it with no buzz. I didn't even know what it was. So I, I, I was on the ship when this whole thing came out. And the thing is, I was probably on the other side of the planet in a foreign country. And I still knew it was coming out. I still knew it was very hype. <laughs> so I don't know how Alan could be oblivious. To it. <laughs> you, you know, that's just sort of my perspective on it. So I was kind of <laughs> eager to watch it. And yeah, I watched it and then quickly realized pretty much all the things that you guys said. I don't have a great deal else to say about A Quiet Place, really. I, I think it's it's very solid. I don't think it really does anything surprising at any point. Nope. It, it's weird, because I, I feel as though the basic concept of you can't make any noise has been, has been done many times before, but I can't really mm-hmm. think of any examples. Although you did point out, don't breathe... Uh, when we started, Alan, which I suppose was that premise, it, it, it's one of those things. It's just, it, yeah, great, great idea for a film, but could have been done better, but definitely not done badly. Um, yeah, everything's just done competently. You know, it's 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 very competently directed, competently shot. It's just lacking some sort of spark, I think. But what I'm kind of sad about is that, you know, for sure there are things in there that could have been done amazing. But perhaps now all chances of those are have been shot because if a very talented horror director, horror writer want to get together to do something like that, the executives will just say, "Ah, so it's like a quiet place then." And well, I didn't stop Stanley Tucci doing it. Yeah, but that's not good. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, you know, my my point is that it's kind of shot all chances of some great work really being done and not for a while now, for at least maybe a decade, I think. Mm, mm. Well, I, I loved Don't Breathe, which is very similar, I suppose, in that, you know, it, it is... Have you seen it, Connor, Don't Breathe? Nah, I haven't seen it. 
my life on land is just one giant catch up to all the stuff I missed when I'm away. I highly recommend it because uh, do you remember that film Panic Robots or something? Little short film. I remember at uni. Uh, listeners who aren't aware, Connor and myself both uh, lived with each other at university, actually. Um, there was a short film that was released on YouTube called Attack de Panico. Oh, yes! In English, Panic Attack. And it's basically a five-minute effects reel of a load of robots blowing up a city. I, I love that short. I thought it was great, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. Connor, you loved it. You thought it was amazing. And I was like, it's fucking bullshit. It's great because 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 it's just it's literally just robots blowing shit up. There's no story. It's there's nothing resembling a plot. It's just an effects reel. But Sam Raimi obviously saw something in Fede Alvarez, the guy who directed that short, Uruguay, uh, and Sam Raimi basically brought him over to the U.S. and got him to direct the remake of Evil Dead in 2013. Saw something in him. I thought the remake of Evil Dead was directed phenomenally well, and uh, Fede Alvarez has has become one of my favourite current working directors. Uh, So, like, hats off to you guys. You saw something in that that I missed. (laughs) Yeah, well, there you go. That's your opinion thoroughly shitted on, isn't it? Uh, Anyway, his second film, which was largely made with the the entire creative team of the Evil Dead remake, more or less, um, Don't Breathe, which was a, a critically acclaimed horror thriller about some robbers who break into a an old veteran's house. They know he's blind and he's got a load of money in his house, but they weren't anticipating that he's basically like Rambo. And as soon as he gets wind that they're in the house, he like locks it down and starts hunting them down one by one. And it's an incredibly tense, incredibly effective thriller. And because he's you know, because he's blind, it's largely don't make any noise, and and the main character trying to be quiet, and um, so I suppose that is the same kind of tropes being done, and done really well. But <laughs> but I suppose the difference is Don't Breathe didn't enjoy the same level of mainstream success because it was a kind of grimy r-rated horror movie yeah quite dark yeah yeah whereas a quiet place is you know a pg-13 bruckheimer adventure horror like i I'm not, like i say it's ultimately a story of like family love and stuff i think that's so yeah it's got a more mainstream appeal you know a, a quiet place is a horror film you could probably get away with showing a, a kid of about you know 10 <laughs> don't think they'd get too scared from it just a, in terms of <clears throat> weak direction i guess um the scene where they set up the nail in this floorboard. <laughs> I mean, it's so unsubtle. It, it, like, basically, this nail gets caught and ends up sticking up straight up where on a f- step. I didn't think that was that bad, Alan. What did bother me was the fact that on the whiteboard five minutes earlier, he'd written, don't stand on any nails. And he'd, like, underline don't and put three <laughs> exclamation points after it. I honestly don't know if you're joking or not with that. <laughs> 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 That's the trouble with this film, but yeah, I, I, it was really put. It was like a you know, it's zoomed into it, like well, you know, tracked into this nail as if to go nail, <laughs> nail, <laughs> and you know, it could be done better than that. Plus, why is there even a nail in that right there? Like, 
point. It's just I, I had that thought because you would never put a nail in that piece of wood in that place to put no. a step there. It's like the, the, I mean, if you did it all, it would be the other way around. You'd be nailing yeah. it into something. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. So I thought that was quite poor, and, and that's just a, a very good example of kind of. Well, it's it's because the you don't see Alan, but but the house actually used to belong to Macaulay Culkin. And like it's, it's, it's Hollywood House out in the out in the hills, and they uh, they they took it over. Like when they go to Bill Murray's house in Zombieland, they were like, "Oh, Macaulay Culkin's house—that'll be a nice place to hide." Oh, that makes sense. Then, yes. And that's why there, there's a deleted scene where um, where Emily Blunt's going down to the basement, and a tin of paint swings down and smacks her in the face, and she's not allowed to swear, so she just sort of goes "Raja fresh, Raja fresh" under her breath. <laughs> Um, the other thing I just wanted to point out was there's, there's a scene quite near the end where the kids have gone off and, and the parents are there with this baby. And there's a scene where basically the, the, the mother of the family is just totally guilt-tripping the the dad and sort of obviously hates herself. She's just going on about how they let their child die and if they, if he lets their other children die, like they're just total failures as human beings and... It was just a really. It was. I think it was supposed to be kind of a this emotional scene where they're like, "Yes, we're going to come together and save our family," kind of thing. But it just came across really horribly. Like she was just like a horrible piece of work, like guilt tripping him into going to save the kids, which he was going to do anyway. Like he, I don't know. It just felt really negative and horrible. What I am doing is watch. Have you finished with your notes? Was that was that what you? Okay, I I am watching the trailer. That's what I will watch. I've watched the trailer two or three times. The the, the trailer for part two. Excuse me, sorry. I need to make that clear. Oh well, yeah, the second one's out. Imminently. Well, I my big takeaway after watching, like going back to this, was basically I I was thinking I think this would be a lot more interesting if we got to see the you know, ground zero. We got to see it all unfold and interact with the real world rather than just jumping straight forward to post-apocalyptic territory. I want to see apocalyptic, not post-apocalyptic. And Mm. I I get why they didn't go that route, because budget, probably, more than anything. And also, I suppose there's far more opportunity to play with the core concept if you're not dealing with, you know, bombastic chaos uh, as the whole world falls apart. But they don't really capitalise on that. So I just want to see the world fall apart. And and I watched the trailer for part two um, before we started recording, and it looks like we're going to get a lot of that. Uh, It looks like they're doing a Godfather part two, and they're going to kind of put some flashbacks (laughs) mixed in with... uh, sequel stuff. Although, curiously, mm. there was no sign of John Krasinski in the flashbacks, and it seemed like, oh, that's the whole way that they managed to get him back on screen. Yeah. Given that he has come back to direct it. but um... Well, the other problem they've got with the flashbacks is that the child actors they're using are too old. <laughs> so... Well, they'll probably put some wonky CGI on them, won't they? That's what you do these days. I, I must say... I, I think the trailer looks very good, actually. I, I'm far more interested in seeing the film than I was before I watched it. I didn't really have any interest in a sequel to this film. Uh, the trailer, yeah, looks alright. I think the the film does not need a sequel in any way. Um, yeah. 
so I was not interested. I watched the trailer. I can't say it particularly did anything for me. It's just more of the same, isn't it? Prepare to be disappointed, Saul. Um, I mean, this trailer, it's probably... Um, my, my bet is that there will be some of the, like, you know, apocalyptic scenes. Yeah, my, my worry is that's going to be the opening. most of it will be with this, yeah. like, with the post-apocalypse again, and they're yeah. going to deal with her and the baby and stuff. My worry is that bit in the trailer where she's nearly getting hit by a bus and we see it all unfolding. My worry is that's going to be the opening of the film, and then it's going to go, boom, A Quiet Place Part 2, and then it's all going to be set after the film. That's movie. definitely the impression I get from the trailer, yeah. That's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, I hope not. I think, if anything, it's a shame that we're following the same characters again. Like, I kind of wish that John Krasinski had said, I have no interest in making a sequel to A Quiet Place, and he'd walked away, and Emily Blunt went, well, I'm I'm not doing it without my husband. And then Jerry Bruckheimer was like, well, we own the rights to your film, so we're going to do A Quiet Place 2, and it's set in... Uh, India, <laughs> or uh, Colorado, or do you know what I mean? Just a new bunch of characters in a new setting with some new sort of obstacles and and potential for for ways to play with the concept that come with it. I, I just think it's a shame that we're largely, most likely, going to be getting more of the same instead of something a bit different. To me, a quiet place seems to be something that he is using, like you brought up earlier, to break the mold about him, to make him uh, a leading man. You know, like, he's a leading man of Jack Ryan, but, you know, in a different fashion, perhaps. I think he's more interested in in setting himself up as a director, honestly. Mm. Um, that's the impression I get. And, and I understand him putting Emily Blunt in it, because he's like, oh, I get to be with my wife for however many months out of the year that we'd be off filming separate projects normally. Yeah, I don't like, I, that, You know, I... I yeah, it's not. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to take issue with him for that. And yeah, he he put himself in the lead in a quiet place, but why not? He's an actor. He makes sense in that part. Yeah, it's probably a budgetary thing more than anything. But he'll have taken on the project as something that, like, yeah, this is a great role for me, the wife, uh, and that's what I want to direct. Like, he'll have taken it on as a sort of package like that. Yeah, but I I do notice that. Um, I noticed that this sequel is written by John Krasinski, which the first one was not. I, I must say, actually, Alan, John Krasinski does have um, one of the three screenplay by credits on the first A Quiet Place. Does he? Yeah. Bri- Brian Wood, Scott Beck, and John Krasinski. Because my understanding is he came on board and, and either rewrote a script or reworked it with the writers i can't quite Mm. i've heard him talk about it but he it wasn't his thing but he he does have a screenplay credit on it so i do think he shaped it and probably made it fit his and his wife's sensibilities i suppose but um uh, yeah john krasinski the next orson welles Then he's gonna fall much harder if this is Citizen Kane, man. Holy shit! <laughs> how how would you approach a sequel then? Because you know, my like I say, my my approach would just be, all right, nice premise. Let's do it again, but let's do it in, and then you spin a globe. Venezuela. I mean, do you honestly think you're gonna make a Hollywood film set in India or Venezuela? Well, no, exactly. But all right, it's let's like, do oh, it. Oh, look, it's an American family visiting. All Venezuela. right, let's do it in London. Still, let's still do American. it. You, you can you can get away with that because they'll go. All right, we'll film it in Pinewood and we'll 
get some British money. Or 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 let's, you know, let's do it, but it's set in Miami on the seaside. And we'll get like someone good in it, like John C. Riley and Willem Dafoe. Oh, oh, that's what you do. That is what you do. It's a quiet place starring Brian Blessed as himself. <laughs> and two really loud actors as themselves trying to be quiet. Okay, what about if it's Brian Blessed and the Blue Man Group? And <laughs> and Kevin Smith. <laughs> they get Kevin Smith because they think, oh, he'll be he'll be quiet because he's uh, Silent Bob. But then the twist is he actually never shuts the fuck up. And they just can't <laughs> stop him going on about like Batman and working with Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis being a dick and stuff. <laughs> and he gets them all killed. <laughs> No, I think for a sequel, guys, like, I think we need sort of, like, a thematic sequels, like, um, not necessarily, like, the same gimmick. I mean, because we've got Bird Box in a quiet place, okay? What I realized was that the next one, logically, is uh, a film where you're not allowed to smell anything. So you call <laughs> it, like, a smelly place. That's what card. Then I realized that Alan is right. And this has actually happened. M. Night Shyamalan has actually done a, a sequel or a prequel already called The Happening. <laughs> because you can't smell anything in that. Like Otherwise, the plants will tell you to kill yourself. I, I, like the, I think we should go in the opposite direction. And it should be you can't stop making noise below <laughs> however many decibels. Otherwise, the bus will explode. Um, guys, we haven't rated the film. Should we do that to finish? Oh, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I, I give it a seven. It's a it's a very seven seven. It's the most seventy seven I've given in a while. Well, I I was really borderline six to seven, um, and I ended up just just giving it a seven, quite a low seven. But you know, like as we said, I think conceptually, as just a sort of general experience, it's it's fine. It, it works. It just feels like there's so much more potential. I think that's why we've, we've come across as quite negative. I think. But yeah, it's just, it's just a seven for me. Yeah, uh, six out of ten for myself um, because I generally go by like out of five. I don't know why that's ten, that's how I tend to rate films. So for me, it's a straight six. What six out of five? Why does rating it out six of five? Out of five, 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 five out of ten. I understand. It's weird, that isn't it? Like a, a seven out of ten really is like a a four out of five. That's, that's the thing. Out of five, but it just doesn't uh, feel you know, like. And, yeah, I definitely, I'm definitely not that positive about it. I mean, you know, with yeah. all due respects to what they're trying to do with their careers, and you know, it's like it's just it had great potential, but there's lots of compromises, but compromises in terms to what it could have been, as opposed to compromises into getting uh, butts in seats, which it did do very successfully, mm. so much so that it's warranted a big budget sequel. So you know, it's you know, it did its part well. It's just not really my cup of whiskey. Right. Well. I hope this episode wasn't too quiet <laughs> for you. <laughs> well, All right, I'm come back next time. Come back next time. It's clear he isn't going anywhere. I'm just going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For, come back. Come back next time for more quiet talk. Come back next time. See you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Connor, again for joining us. By the way, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. It was it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure.
And just to let you know, I was communicating in sign language for our devil. <laughs> oh, wonderful. 